Come, let us now open our Bibles. Let us read from the Gospel according to John. Begin our reading, John chapter 2, verse 13. This is after the first sign that the Lord Jesus did, the first miracle. You know that John only has seven miracles in his gospel. There are many, many miracles that the Lord Jesus did. In fact, John testifies at the end of his book that if, if they were all written, all the miracles and all the deeds of the Lord Jesus, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain them all. But John only picks out seven. These seven John picks out because he wants to focus on the glory of the Lord Jesus. He did that already in the first sign, in the changing of water into wine, and now we will look at the second sign. But let's look at the time in between the first and the second sign because they also help us to understand the second sign. So let's begin our reading from uh, John chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. We'll read up to verse 25. And then we'll read from chapter 4, 28 to 46. We read here the word of God. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out, all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take those things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. The disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again, raise it up. The Jews then said, it, is, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then we have the episode concerning Nicodemus and how God so loved the world that he gave up his only son. Then we continue our reading in chapter 4, where the Lord Jesus meets up with the Samaritan woman. And he's in discussion with the Samaritan woman. And about the time the disciples come back and they're surprised that he's talking to a woman, the woman leaves uh, to go to her town folk and tell them about the Lord Jesus. So we continue our reading from verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? 
Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Thus far, the scripture reading. Let us continue our reading. Therein we have our text. Jesus heals an official's son. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The fisher said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the eleventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee thus far. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first miraculous sign that the Lord Jesus did was indeed change the water into wine. Thereby the Lord revealed that he was the Son of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. By using the water in those huge jugs that was at the entrance of, of the wedding hall, which the Jews used for ceremonial cleansing in their pathetic attempt to make themselves holy and acceptable before God, the Lord Jesus, by changing that water into wine, pointed out how he would cleanse his people from all their sins, that he would drink that bitter cup of God's wrath 
in a cursed death on the cross, through which he would secure an entrance to eternal life to all who are faithful and chosen by the Father and invite them to the marriage feast of the Lamb. This morning we may look at the second miraculous sign which the Lord Jesus also did at Cana, which also reveals his glory. The glory is the one and only who had come from the Father, from the Father of life, to create new life to our dead bodies and souls, which man brought upon himself by his own disobedience and rebellion. This marvelous glory of the Lord, this redemption to new life, is revealed to us by way of a healing of a royal official son. And so I may proclaim to you this morning as follows. Jesus, the Son of God, reveals his glory by demonstrating that he is the Lord of life. I will say three points. First of all, signs reveal the Christ. Secondly, word creates faith in the Christ. And thirdly, new life is the confirmation of faith in Christ. So first of all, Jesus, the Son of God, reveals his glory by demonstrating that he is the Lord of life. Signs reveal the Christ. Shortly after the Lord Jesus did the miraculous sign of changing the water into wine, Lord Jesus with the disciples went down to Jerusalem because it was now again the time for the Passover. There in Jerusalem, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle and sheep and doves, all kinds of animals that were necessary for for the sacrifices. And he saw other men sitting at tables exchanging money. Even though animals, animals were necessary for sacrifice, the house of the Lord was not to be used for such transactions. The Lord made that very clear by turning over the tables and making a whip and chasing the evildoers out of the house of the Lord. The Jews then demanded of the Lord Jesus, what sign do you show us for doing these things? The Apostle Paul later wrote an undeniable truth. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Indeed, the Lord Jesus did not stop doing miracles. He did many miracles among his people, among the Jews. He healed the sick. He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He cast out demons from those who were demon-possessed. He also did many miraculous signs in Jerusalem while he was there for the first Passover feast together with his disciples. Although these miraculous signs revealed his glory, as the one and only who had come from the Father, few recognized him as their only Savior, who had come to take away the sins of the world. And we read yet in, in John 2, verse 23 and 24, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. What is this saying? The Lord Jesus would thereby be indicating this believing in his name by the Jews was not yet a believing unto true faith. People believed that he was an extraordinary man. He could do extraordinary powers, powers from which they could benefit tremendously. Yet up to this point, they only received him as Savior from their earthly misery and sorrows. They did not confess him to be a savior from sins, from their eternal misery of condemnation and hell. 
Yet signs attracted people to him. And that did give him the opportunity to get to know him better. And perhaps by the grace of God, come to believe in the only Savior of the world. One such man was Nicodemus. He openly admitted, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For, we, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. But then the Lord Jesus points out to Nicodemus that signs only have temporal value, earthly value, unless you believe what the sign represents. And that one can only understand and believe what the sign represents if one has been given the gift of the Spirit. Now after the feast of the Passover was over, the Lord Jesus and disciples returned back to Galilee. And there begins what is normally called the great Galilean ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. This period lasts for about 16 months. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us a lot more about that period of time, the Lord's ministry. John, in keeping with his purpose of writing his Gospel, selects only those events from the life of our Lord Jesus which reveal his glory as the Son of God, who came from the Father as our Redeemer and Savior. Now, on his way back to Galilee, the Lord Jesus passed through Samaria. And just like Nathaniel, this woman too, by the grace of God, comes to believe in the Lord Jesus, simply because the Lord Jesus revealed to her her not-so-beautiful past and present. Excited about this newfound revelation in finding the Christ, she informs her country folk, her town folk, who also, after spending some time with the Lord Jesus, declares that they too now believe that this man Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. Thus we see the Lord Jesus revealing his glory to ever-widening circles. Here we see Samaritans, non-Jews, coming to faith with relative ease, if we may say, that is, without signs. And with great joy, with no reservation, that the Lord Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. Finally, the Lord Jesus and disciples arrive in Galilee. There they are received with open arms, for we are told that the Galileans welcomed him. Why? That didn't, doesn't seem to coincide very well with the previous statement that the Lord Jesus had made him, that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Is the Lord Jesus not from Nazareth or Galilee? Yes, we know that. How are we then to understand the statement that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown? Over against the next statement, that the Galileans welcomed him. Well, that becomes clear with the following sentence, which says, they, that is, the Galileans, had seen all that the Lord Jesus had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So why then did the Galileans welcome him? They welcomed him not for his person, not for the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world, but for his many miracles, for the signs that he could do. They had their eyes focused on the signs, on the benefits, not on the person of the Lord Jesus, of who he was and, and why he had come into the world. They were proud that their native son had come back again and that he had shown those arrogant people in, in Jerusalem that something good could come out of Nazareth after all through the signs that he did. And yet, correctly, the Lord Jesus 
said, A prophet has no honor in his own hometown, for they do not honor him as a savior, but only as a miracle worker. But this type of honor as a miracle worker would become a stumbling block for many Jews to come to faith. The Jews in Jerusalem demanded signs. The Jews in Galilee, too, demanded signs. That's all they were interested interested in. That's all they they wanted. And this is made abundantly clear with the next episode, the healing of the royal official son. With this background in mind, we can understand what might appear to us as somewhat a harsh remark of the Lord Jesus to the royal official, who had come to him with a tremendous burden on his heart, anguish on his heart, pleading of the Lord Jesus to come to Capernaum with him to heal his son who was close to death. Clearly, this knowledge of the Lord Jesus of doing miraculous signs had become well-spread, widespread. This royal official was from Capernaum, probably from the palace of King Herod Antipas, which is also situated in Capernaum. He had heard that the Lord Jesus was visiting Canaan once again. And so this royal official used his opportunity to seek healing for his, his very sick son. The official is very urgent about it. He's not out to be impressed by the miracles of the Lord Jesus. His heart and his mind was set on the son. For that reason, he made that not-so-easy journey over rough and mountainous terrain to get to Canaan. And for that reason, he begged, that is, he repeatedly pleaded with the Lord Jesus to come with him to, to Capernaum to heal his son. But the Lord Jesus tests this man's heart. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. We should note that this statement was not directed just at the official, but also at all those who were within hearing. Indeed, with that, the Jews and the Galileans believed when they saw the signs and wonders. For they had the greatest wonder standing right before them, the Son of God in human flesh. They hear him teaching with such wisdom that many were left astounded. They see him performing such miracles that many were amazed that even the wind and the sea obey him and demons flee from him. And they will in time also see him hang on the cross, the greatest miracle of all, the innocent Son of God, paying for the sins of us wretched sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, so the unrighteous might have life and might have life abundantly. The Lord Jesus said, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The Lord was not being harsh with the official, but he was warning the people of Canaan, the people of Galilee, that their faith was on very shaky ground. For the faith of the crowd who were first attracted to him was based on their amazement at the power of the Lord Jesus. They saw the signs and they were amazed. They did not see beyond the signs. They did not see that the signs done by the Lord Jesus pointed to how God was now visiting them again. How God in his great compassion had come to them in his Son to deal with their sins. They did not see God to whom the signs of Christ was pointing. They kept staring at the signs. And the official was in that respect no exception. 
He did not ask the Lord Jesus to speak the word, as a later centurion would ask of the Lord Jesus. No, he asked the Lord Jesus to come down with him to Capernaum for the purpose of performing a miraculous healing for his son, whom he considered as much as dead. In this way, the Samaritans were different from the Jews. The Samaritans were more honorable. All that the Lord Jesus did among them was speak the word. The Lord Jesus showed that he knew all about the Samaritan woman's life. We don't read about any healings. We don't read about any miraculous signs. He just spoke the word. He spoke the word to her, and he spoke the word to the town folk. He spent two days with them. And what did we read? They believed in him. They professed the faith in him. They confessed him to be the savior of the world. These Samaritans believed in Jesus because of his word. But the Jews? No. They wanted to see signs and wonders. They wouldn't believe until they saw some signs and wonders. An official, too, thus far only saw the Lord Jesus as a miracle worker. For he had his dying son in mind, in his heart. That's why he begged the Lord Jesus to come with him. But the Lord Jesus wanted to teach the official, and others listening, that he is more than a miracle worker. Even in the heart-rending situation in which the royal official came to him, the Lord was not content simply to heal the man's son. His seemingly harshness was aimed at not letting the official and his entire household remain halfway on the road to faith. The Lord Jesus did not only want to give his son back to the Father, but he wanted to give himself to the Father and to his whole household. Yes, brothers and sisters, signs are wonderful. We have all kinds of signs in our lives, don't we? We have road signs, and unless you believe them and follow them up, you will not receive the benefit of the sign. In fact, you could be in big trouble if you don't follow up on the sign. The Lord Jesus also, before he went up to heaven, left us signs. It is a sign that we receive in, in the sacraments and holy baptism and, and holy supper. They point out to us and remind us what the Lord Jesus did for us all the days he walked on this earth, but especially at the end of his life, on the cross and through the grave. But in the end, these signs will mean very little to us if we do not go beyond the sign, if we do not go back to the word. If we do not go beyond the sign, back to the word, we will miss out of the comfort intended by the signs. It is the word that creates faith. By the spirit, not the sign, nor the sacraments. It is the word of Christ that works faith in the hearts of the Samaritans, by the spirit. It is that same word that will work faith in the hearts of the Jews and Gentiles alike by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. Miracles and wonders the Lord Jesus did were signs that pointed to something and someone beyond the signs themselves. They pointed to him. Through them, the Lord Jesus revealed to his people that the glory of the Father and grace and truth had come among them in him. He had come among them to give them life. He was the Lord of life. The miracles and wonders pointed to him as the compassionate one who had come to remove the misery out of their lives. 
Not only the physical misery of, of sickness, but much more. Also spiritual misery, which we cause by our sins. The Lord Jesus wanted to heal not only the official's son, this official's temporary earthly misery, but also this man's spiritual eternal misery. Then the official must look and believe beyond the sign. He must believe in the word the Lord Jesus was about to speak. For only the word, not the sign, by the spirit creates true faith. And so we come to the second point. The word creates faith in Christ. You can imagine that the official must have wondered what the Lord Jesus was talking about when he said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The Lord Jesus had said, what do you mean the Lord Jesus? Of course I believe. Otherwise I would not ask you to come down with me to heal my son. Of course I believe that you can heal my son through a miraculous sign. But the official doesn't have much time for discussion. He's very persistent. He's very urgent. Every moment is precious to him. His son was dying. As a parent, we can understand the feeling of this father. We can understand his heart-rending plea. Please, sir, come down before my son dies. The father is very urgent. He wants the Lord Jesus to come down with him to Capernaum. Why? Why must the Lord Jesus come to Capernaum with him? Because in the official's mind, that's how miracles work. That's how miracle workers work. The miracle worker must be with the person he has to heal. And through some ministration, bring about a healing. Thus, in the official's mind, the Lord Jesus must come down with him to Capernaum. Come to the sickbed of his son. And there perform some miraculous action by which his son would be cured. Isn't that how miracles work? The miracle worker has to be at the spot where the miracle needed to be performed. But the Lord Jesus simply replies, Go! Your son will live. Actually, in the Greek, it doesn't say that. Actually, in the Greek, it says, Go, your son lives. The first verb, go, is indeed in the imperative. It's a command. But the second verb, live, is not in the future, but in the present. Thus it should read, go, your son lives. But that's not what the official expected to hear. Lord Jesus simply spoke the word. Lord Jesus did not give any indication that he would be coming down with the fish. He was not getting his backpack together and telling himself, let's hurry up, let's get going, let's help this man in this predicament. No, the Lord only spoke the word. Just a word. Go, your son lives. That word had to be enough for him. Would it be enough? Would he believe the word? Or would the royal official's response be like Naaman in 2 Kings 5? When Elijah sent in a messenger to Naaman and told him to go and wash himself seven times in the Jordan River, then Naaman responded with anger. I thought that Elijah would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. We could also expect this from this man, for he was also a royal official, a high-ranking officer in the court. Yet beautifully we read, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. 
The man took Jesus at his word. How wonderful. What a delight to read this. A humble, obedient, trusting response to the Lord's word. That's how it should be, brothers and sisters. That's also how, what the Lord expects from us. We're always to take the Lord at his word, even when some doctrines and some situations in our lives seems unbelievable. Take, for example, the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Romans. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How can an untimely death through cancer or some accident be God working all things for good, we may ask? But here, too, we must take God at his word. He means to do us well, means to do us good. Only then can we have peace when we take God at his word. And think about it, brothers and sisters. Without the Spirit of God working in us, who can even believe that God offered up his only son to die on that horrible cross, the sinless for the sinner? No one can believe such a thing on his own. And so we sense here right away that this is a work of God. That this high-ranking official could swallow his pride, humble himself, simply follow the Lord Jesus at his word. That is a work of the Lord. That he could take Jesus at his word is a work of the Holy Spirit. As in the words of the Lord Jesus, when Peter professed his faith in the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So also blessed is this royal official in taking the Lord at his word, especially in believing in what he did not yet see in a matter of what was of utmost importance to him, the life of his son. And yet he took the Lord Jesus at his word. It was the Father in heaven who had granted him that faith in the word of the Son. Later, the Lord Jesus told Doubting Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The official took the Lord Jesus at his word and departed. There was no ifs, there was no buts, there was no questioning, there was no doubting. He simply believed. What a gift. What a gift of faith. That gift of faith God grants to all his children, brothers and sisters, who submit themselves to the faithful preaching of God's holy word. That gift of faith God grants to all those who sincere, sincerely with heartfelt longing ask him for this gift. As Lord Jesus once said, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it of him. That gift of faith will remove all ifs and buts, will remove all questionings and doubting. That gift of faith causes us to, to look beyond the temporal and the immediate, the struggles and the pains and the sorrows that we have to deal with from day to day, to see the eternal and to see the, the spiritual riches we have received in our Lord Jesus Christ, a life of joy, of peace and comfort for this life and the life to come. And believing the Lord at his word, the official indicated that he no longer saw the Lord Jesus simply as a miracle worker, but now began to see that the Lord Jesus was much more than that. The Lord Jesus had said, your son lives. And the official believed that word, that promise. 
as being real at that very moment. And he showed that, he believed that promise, by immediately departing from the Lord Jesus and making his way back to Capernaum. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus tells you every Sunday again and confirms that to you in the sacraments, that you have life in his name and that you have life in abundance, even eternal life. That promise is real. You have it now at this very moment that you believe in him. By believing him, it is yours. He established that in you and for you in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. You may live and, and work in that joy of that promise today and every day. Believe that promise of life so that as you depart from the house of the Lord each Sunday, you can do so with uplifted hearts to face another week with whatever the Lord may lay on your path for that week. Good things and maybe sometimes not so good things. Brothers and sisters, how often does the Lord Jesus not say in the scriptures, go, go and be reconciled to your brother. Go into your room and close the door and pray to your heavenly father. Go to the street corners and, and invite to the banquet anyone you find. Go and make disciples of all nations. Many more times, go, go, go. Go, said the Lord Jesus to the official. And he believed the word of the, of the Lord Jesus and he went. Brothers and sisters, believing means action. Believing shows itself in action. Faith without works is dead, said James. The royal official believed, and he showed that he believed. He took the Lord Jesus at his word, and that word that said, Go, your son lives. He departed and returned to Capernaum. He went back home in faith. You too may go home in faith. The Lord Jesus is the Lord of life, and he wants you to enjoy life to the full in his name. And he will not put your faith to shame, as he also does not put to shame the faith of this royal official of Herod's court. And so we come to the last point. New life is confirmed. is a confirmation of faith in Christ. Now while the royal official was still on his way, the servants met him with the good news that his boy was recovering. There must have been a very close relationship between the royal official and the servants. So when one grieves, the other grieves, and when one rejoices, the other rejoices. So when the servants saw there was a good change in the, in the boy's life, they immediately had to share it with their master. So we see that the Lord Jesus does not disappoint, disappoint the royal official. The Lord Jesus, the Lord is always true to his word. You can imagine the joy in the royal official's heart. And that you can see it all over his face. But when the official heard that the boy was recovering, and that it happened at the very exact time that the Lord Jesus said, your son lives, his joy was complete. It knew no limits. His faith was confirmed, and his faith was alive and overflowed with joy. He knew now with certainty that Jesus is more than a miracle worker. No, Jesus is the Lord of life. He believed that the Lord Jesus had power over death and could grant life to whomever he wills. And then from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the royal official spoke freely of his faith to his entire household. So they also began to believe in the Lord Jesus 
His entire household believed the teachings of this master of this household, which the Lord had confirmed in the sign of new life to, to the official's son. This master's son had been dead, as dead, and now it was alive and well again. Notice, brothers and sisters, what great riches are brought out by this miracle. First of all, the father had left the Lord Jesus in Cana with only the word of the Lord Jesus in his possession. The word of promise, your son lives. And he went on his way. He departed for Capernaum in faith, trusting in this word of promise from the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus did not disappoint him, but made his faith complete, his joy complete, by granting him his request. His boy was alive and well. The Lord does not disappoint those who put their trust in him. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, anyone who trusts in him would never be put to shame. Secondly, note too that this second miraculous sign that the Lord Jesus did in Canaan is not coincidental. It never is. In the first sign in Canaan, the turning of the water into wine, the Lord Jesus revealed his glory that by his coming and through his death, he would perform a once-for-all cleansing from all our sins and so welcome us to his marriage feast, the marriage feast of the Lamb. Now with the second sign, also performed among the Galileans in Canaan, the Lord Jesus once again reveals his glory as the one and only who had come from the Father for the purpose of granting new life to our dead bodies and souls and granting life in abundance, not only from the misery of this earth, but foremost from the eternal misery and damnation. The Lord Jesus pointed to himself as the Lord and giver of life. He had power to raise up this son from, the death, from death to life. And later by his own power and in the power of his father, he will raise himself up from the dead. It is with that resurrected power he will raise many unto new life, as many as will believe in his name. But think about it, brothers and sisters. Where would you and I be without the Lord Jesus in our lives? The deathly illness of the young boy, of the official son, is a sign of our situation, is it not? We were dead in sins. If we would die in our sins, we would eternally be condemned to hell. By our sins, we have brought the verdict of eternal death upon ourselves. But Christ came into the world to save us, to deliver us from eternal death. He came to give us renewed life with the Father forever. He is the Lord of life. Through the second sign, the Lord demonstrates that he is the Lord of life and gives life to all who believes. And brothers, do you not experience that new life in Christ within you? He is the one who gives you joy. He's the one who gives you peace. He's the one who gives you hope, despite the struggles you sometimes have to go through in life. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Hold on to that faith that he has worked in your heart. Stand firm and strengthen that faith through constantly reading God's holy word and attending the worship service and, and continue in prayer. And you will not be disappointed. One day you will see the full fulfillment of all the promises of God. You will see the Lord of life and our Heavenly Father seated on His holy throne. And you will then experience the full excitement and joy of living with your Heavenly Father and your Savior forever. Amen.